There are two passages, as usual, um, and the first can be seen on page 8, Exodus 16. If you'd like to read along with me. Exodus 16, verses 1 to 3. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And our second reading from Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Um, Thanks for leading us in prayer, Matt, and um, thanks for reading the Bible for us, Naomi. Um, My name's Craig. I'm minister here at the garrison, and uh, I want to extend my welcome to you as well. Um, So good for us to get together this afternoon and share this time together in song and prayer and just in friendship. And um, we're going to reflect on that passage from Galatians that Naomi read to us. We've been reading Galatians now for nine weeks. We're almost at the end of it. And uh, so if you're new with us tonight, you're sort of jumping midway into this letter we've been reading, but I do hope it will be really uh, challenging, encouraging um, as you reflect upon it and as we reflect upon it together. And uh, also at the end of um, the reflection that I'm going to give on this passage, uh, we're going to have a little space for any comments um, or questions that you might have. Um, So sometimes you're listening to a sermon and... um, an idea will come up or you might be encouraged by something and maybe you just want to share it with the group. I mean, it takes a lot of courage to do that, but if that's sort of the person you are, then feel free, there'll be a space to share it. Uh, there might be a question or something that is a bit confusing and it, it, 
if it's confusing for you, it's probably confusing for everyone else. So it's also a chance you could ask a question. Um, and so we'll have that time at the end. So if you have anything, write it down and we can share it together um, in a few moments. Um, but as we do reflect on God's word together, um, as, as Matt alluded to in his prayer, we, we do believe that um, uh, God uses his word in the Bible um, to make us known, uh, to change us and to make known to us his will. Um, and so we're going to ask that he will do that now as we meditate on his word. I'm going to pray that wherever you're at this afternoon, that you might be led closer to um, the goodness of God and uh, his son, Jesus. So let me pray that he might be at work. Um, Lord and Father, we thank you for your promise to uh, be at work through your word. And as we reflect upon this passage in Galatians now, Lord, please just speak to each one of us, whatever words we need to hear. And uh, please guide us in being able to know and love you more and let that shape all things. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one of the key phrases we use here at the Garrison is that, um, I guess as a church community, we, wanna, we seek lives that are transformed by following Jesus. Now, like any catchphrase, it can be pretty cheap and meaningless if it's just something we sort of spurt out as a catchy, feel-good phrase. Um, but I think real Christianity uh, is about real lives experiencing real change through following Jesus. Uh, sometimes this change is immediate and it's quite significant, uh, but often it's, it's low and slow as we experience genuine shifts in our habits, in our thinking, uh, in our feeling and our behaviour. And throughout the ancient book of Galatians, I think Paul frames this up in the concept of learning to live free. Learning to live free. Um, and in today's passage, I think we see that learning to live free is actually learning to live your life directed and shaped by God's Spirit. Uh, for the Holy Spirit is the spirit of human freedom. Uh, of course, so far in Paul's letter, uh, he's done a whole range of things. We're up to chapter, end of chapter 5. He's encouraged his readers to place their faith in what God has done for them through the work of Jesus, rather than on their own good works. He's been writing a lot about that. He's also warned his readers against church leaders who will seek to manipulate them with Things that sound very Christian, but are in fact power plays and potentially destructive. But now, Paul addresses the personal lives of his readers, and he invites them, and I guess he invites us, because we're reading this letter too, to stay in step with God's Spirit. And in doing so, find a real sense of personal freedom, uh, which is, you could argue, one of the things the Christian faith is all about. Uh, but this actually doesn't appear to be as simple as it seems. Uh, it's a wrestle. And you see it right at the start of today's passage. Paul sets out two forces that are at work. I think he's writing to Christian people, but um, two forces that are at work. The Holy Spirit and the desires of the flesh. 
And these forces appear to be in conflict with one another, or kind of they're on different trajectories. They're leading in different directions. And so he says in verse 16, he says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the, desi- for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Now, did you notice this exploration of human freedom here? Paul says, because there is an inner conflict... We are not simply to do whatever we want. Now, I wonder perhaps that may have been your little working definition of freedom. You know, that I do whatever I want, whenever I want it. Well, that's at least the horizon. Then I'll be truly free. But the Apostle Paul here, I think, wants to challenge us. He says the Christian experience is a conflict of two forces... And real freedom of life is actually only found in one of those forces. Uh, To frame it up in the context of the letter to the Galatians, one of these forces is focusing our attention on Jesus and what he has done for us and what he continues to do in us. And the other force is focusing our attention on ourselves and our own ability to sort of scrub up to God's holiness and perfection or whatever other kind of framework you have set in your mind of the good life. Uh, Grace versus law, or in this particular biblical book, freedom versus slavery. Our core to the experience of Christian faith is learning to live free. Um, And you may have been a Christian for... 20 years, you may have been a Christian for maybe six months, or maybe uh, you're not yet a Christian, but you're interested by it, and you're thinking, like, how would this impact my life? Is this true? Is this real? But I think a great framework is that the Christian life is a life where we are learning. No matter how long we've been a Christian, we are continuing to learn to live free, but it's harder than it seems. One of the classic films, I think, subjective, of our time is Shawshank Redemption. Um, It opens, for those of you who don't know it, or as a little reminder, it opens with an innocent man, Andy, being found guilty of a murder he didn't commit and being sent to Shawshank Prison. And there he meets Red, played by Morgan Freeman. uh, And he is a man who is actually guilty of murder. That's why he's in prison. But has spent so long there that the anger and the violence of his youth have kind of long gone. And the movie is built around the hope that Andy brings to the prison and he's promised to break free. And towards the end of the movie, um, Red, the Morgan Freeman character, he actually gets released from Shawshank. Finally. He's done his time. And he's finally a free man. He's set up with a job at a grocery store. He's actually given his own apartment to move into. He's finally out of prison. But things are not as easy as they seem. And uh, he reflects with these words from the movie. He said, 40 years I've been asking permission to piss. Now I can't squeeze a drop without say-so. He said, there's a harsh truth to face. No way am I going to make it on the outside. All I do anymore is actually think of ways to break my parole. So maybe they'd send me back. It's a terrible thing to live in fear. Brooks had it and he knew it. He knew it all too well. 
All I want is to be back where things make sense, where I won't have to be afraid all the time. But only one thing stops me, a promise I made to Andy. You know, the core experience of Christian faith, I think, is learning to live free. But this is harder than it seems. A person can get so accustomed to life in prison that they can't actually make it on the outside. And growing up as a Christian presents us with this exact same wrestle as we actually learn to leave behind things that have enslaved us. And to help us, Paul actually gives a pretty clear picture of a life driven by the desires of the flesh and a life driven by the Spirit of God. And so in verse 19, he writes, the acts of the flesh are obvious to him. Uh, Yeah, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, do you notice that Paul uses the warning that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God? Inherit is family language. We've been looking at this in Galatians already. Through faith in the one true Son, Jesus, we are adopted into God's eternal family. Um, That's being a Christian. And like any family, there is a tone and there's a way of doing things in this family. And the acts of the flesh, as Paul calls them, they just don't fit with the shape of God's family. Now, of course, you can imagine that whenever someone gets adopted into a new family, um, it takes time to adjust, even if it's a great family. It takes time to learn how things are done and to be shaped by this new family unit. And so it is with our own Christian journey. The acts of the flesh are things that we learn to leave behind as we grow up as children of God in his family. Or Paul writes, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we we haven't just left these things behind, but we've put them to death in our life. A new shape of life shaped by our family for whom God is our Father and a great Heavenly Father. And so we have this list here that Paul gives us. Uh, Sexual immorality is the first one. Uh, I think in the context, not, not just really a reference to our sexual desires, but more a reference to our sexual actions. It's usually a reference in the Bible to sex outside of the married relationship. Um, That could be adultery. Uh, It could be sex with your partner before you've actually committed to each other in a lifelong married relationship. It could be multiple sexual partners um, or a sexual life whose primary expression is found in, I guess, the viewing of pornography or other external and Paul says, you know what, we, we, learn, we learn to leave this behind as we grow up as children of God. And then he mentions impurity and debauchery. And I think, again, in the context here, that's usually a reference to drunken parties, which often end up in random sexual encounters, which is not uncommon in the ancient Roman world. Um, and you could argue it's not that uncommon today. 
Like humans are pretty much the same 2,000 years ago as they are today. And we learn, according to Paul, to leave this sort of thing behind as we grow up as Christians. Um, Idolatry and witchcraft, he mentions, a reference to the worshipping of other spiritual powers outside of Jesus. The temptation, perhaps, would have been to follow Jesus, but keep dabbling in all sorts of other spiritual things, other Roman gods and and things like that. Um, And I wonder, we don't have necessarily Roman gods in, in our city today, but I wonder whether an equivalent is we find ourselves saying that we follow Jesus and, you know, believing it, but really our hearts are still worshipping the classic kind of idols of, of our culture, which is, you know, money or success or status or whatever it might be. And we learn to leave that false worship behind as we grow up as children of God. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. What a list. Um, if you have a deep-seated, uh, deep-seated, and I'm, I'm sure you'll feel justified, hatred of another, or you genuinely struggle to keep your anger under control, or you find yourself deeply jealous of what someone else has, or another then according to this, you're going to need to do some work to be free from this and to leave it behind as you grow up as a child of God. Um, Selfish ambition. That's like a rude word to put that in a negative list in Sydney, isn't it? Now, I take it selfish ambition is when you place achieving your goals above and beyond relationships. Um, So it's not a reference to having to stay back late a couple of nights in a row to get work done. I think it's more an issue of the heart when achieving your goals of personal success is the ultimate purpose of your life. And if this is you, then Paul would encourage you to do some work to be free of this and leave it behind as you grow up as a child of God. The acts of the flesh, as Paul calls them, just don't really fit with the shape of God's family. Um, They are more marks of people who are enslaved rather than marks of women and men who are free. And to this is what he now turns, to the shape of human freedom. And Paul says, while the acts of the flesh are obvious, Paul shares with us the fruit of God's spirit. And I love that phrase, the fruit. Um, The fruit of the Spirit, fruit involves growth, involves something coming to life, it involves something good, growing, maturing. Fruit doesn't just appear, it is tended and watered and grows over time. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, against such things, there's no law. You ask, what does human freedom look like? Uh, Paul's answer is the woman or the man who is bearing the fruit of the Spirit. The woman or man who can capture their desires and has the freedom to choose which ones to act upon, which ones to foster, 
which ones to discard. They have the freedom to choose life. And if that is true, if it's true, then it turns out perhaps that simply doing whatever I want whenever I want may not be a description of freedom, but rather more a description of early childhood, a description of a four-year-old who can't yet filter their desires. But that's not God's will for your life. Um, Through faith in Jesus, we are all children of God, and he loves to see us grow up in beautiful ways. And his will for your life is deep character change, which leads to a resemblance of Jesus. And I guess since the Holy Spirit is given by the risen Jesus, then it makes sense that the Spirit is this agent of change in our life. But I recognize that even the possibility of being changed, of being free like this, can be really daunting. Um, Even the Israelites, after being freed from slavery in Egypt, grumbled to Moses that they preferred living as slaves than living in freedom. And that was our first Bible reading. They grumbled to Moses. Oh, back in Egypt, we had like pots of meat. And Moses is like, yes, but you were slaves. Now you're free. And they're like, oh, no, no, we want to go back to being slaves if we can just get like a burger. And Moses is like, no. Once Red made it out of Shawshank Prison, he was troubled. No way am I going to make it on the outside. All I do anymore is think of ways to break my parole so they'd send me back. Terrible thing to live in fear. All I want is to be back where things make sense. I love that phrase. All I want is to be back where things make sense. This was the cry of the Israelites after they'd made it through the Red Sea. We're now free. But things made sense when we were slaves. And for some of us, that could look like a whole range of different things. For some of us, that's caught in just this self-obsessed living, which it's slavery, but things make sense there for us. Or for some of us, that might be caught in substance abuse, which is, over the long term, absolute slavery, but it does make sense to us, which is why we keep returning. Or for some of us, that's caught in a deep jealousy or a deep anger. And that really is slavery, but it makes sense, and so we stay there. And we honestly think there's a harsh truth to face. No way am I going to make it as a Christian. But there is good news. Uh, God is patient. And he is gentle And he doesn't give up on you. You, I haven't seen the stats. I think it would probably be, you are guaranteed to give up on yourself, what, about, I don't know, 2,800 times in any given life. Um, But God doesn't give up on you. And he's patient and he's gentle. And he has given you his spirit. And Paul writes, if you are led by the spirit, You are not under the law. And that's a kind of a confusing statement, but I think what it means, what he means by this, is that genuine Christian faith is about 
receiving and fostering a whole new identity as a child of God who is led by God's Spirit and then just working out what life will look like for you as a child of God. That is, rather than keeping our old identity and then simply just trying to be good or be better or be good enough or some... That approach doesn't seem to really work because true character change begins with a new sense of self. And so Paul writes in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus, that's identity language, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, so we live, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. One of the key phrases we use here at 4pm at the garrison is that we seek lives transformed by following Jesus. And this can just be a really kind of glib, weak, lame catchphrase. But I think real Christianity is about real lives, experiencing real change through following Jesus. And sometimes this change is immediate and actually quite obvious, but often it's low and slow, but it's real. And we experience genuine shifts in our habits, our thinking, our feeling, and our behavior. And such holistic change can never really come through simply trying to be better. Rather, it comes through an entire shift in identity. That's like Christian faith is so cool because it's so big. It's a whole new way to see life. And What it is, is seeing that through my faith in Jesus, the Son of God, through your faith in Jesus, you are a child of God, an inheritor of eternal life. You are now one who can bless others, because God's family love blessing others. That's kind of what we do in this family. And you've been given this freedom by a courageous God And he's on your side. That's why he gives you his spirit. And I know that you don't always feel it. And that's one of the reasons we come to church. Church is not a building. That's why we gather together as people. Because we want to keep reminding what God has done for us and is doing in us. To stay in step with God's spirit is to learn to water and tend and provide the soil for this fruit of the Spirit to grow. And I wonder what that would look like for you, to be a garden bed for the fruit of the Spirit. Um, What does it mean for you in the season of life you're currently in? Maybe for some of us, it actually means seeking help to stop a particular habit or lifestyle which is enslaving you, putting to death, as Paul would say, uh, the desires of the flesh that is hindering the growth of healthy fruit in your life. Uh, When Naomi and I go down the south coast, uh, we go fishing. We've got a little tin boat. We've just got a new 3.5 horsepower outboard, so we are roaring, hat backwards. Mm. And... uh, we fish, we get flathead, brim, flounder. We got one flounder the other day. Oh, like the, when I say the other day, I meant like six months ago, but that's about how often we get there. Um, 
But anyway, when the fish comes in, if it's big enough, uh, we're going to eat it. Um, and so you kill it because you keep it in the water, but we take it home, then we scale it and fillet it, and it's so earthy. Um, but fish don't want to die, right? They're living creatures. And so they're like, it comes in the boat, and they're flipping all over the place, and then they'll flip under the seat, and you've got to try and use your line to get it back on. Then you've got to get the hessian bag over the top so it doesn't flip out. And because it's a living thing, and it doesn't want to die. Things don't want to die. And so putting to death the desires of the flesh, it's not simple. Because you might have habits or desires that don't want to die. And these habits flip under the seat of your life and you're trying to get it and then you're trying to get the Hessian bag to go, how to, keeps flipping. It's difficult. But part of discipleship and being a follower of Jesus is to continue to seek to put to death those things that enslave us. And so we need each other. And we need some Christian friends to help us out. And you might find yourself, you're not really sure how to change. And so you speak to someone who is close to you, or you can come speak to me, or, or you might need to actually pursue seeing a counselor or a psychologist for something, because your act of discipleship is to really take seriously things that are enslaving you. And so we, we work on that. Maybe that's not exactly where you're at this afternoon. Um, perhaps it means seeking to soak yourself more in God's community through church, through your midweek community group, maybe with meeting up with Christian brothers and sisters to pray and receive God's word, to allow people to speak into your life and remind you of who you are. Maybe that might be something where you're at. Perhaps not. Maybe it means a serious rethink of your own goals and your vision of the good life. And it might mean replacing success as your ultimate goal with love, relationships, godliness. That doesn't mean you can't be successful. There's plenty of people who follow Jesus and are insanely successful. But it's not their ultimate goal. That's not what rules them. And so maybe for you, that, that's what it might mean, a rethink of your goals and vision of life, the good life, as a child of God. You know, I'm, I'm not sure what it looks like for you because that's the beautiful thing of our church family here. We're all different, we're at different places. I'm not sure what it looks like for you right now on this particular day, but I do know that whatever it is, to put to death the desires of the flesh and to seek to grow the fruit of the Spirit in your life. That is a step towards the freedom that Jesus and his Spirit brings. And that is a step that is worth taking. And perhaps for some of us this afternoon, really what it means is that we become a Christian for the first time. We actually say, you know, I've been hearing about this stuff for a long time, but I'm ready to take my faith and trust off myself and actually place it in God because he's reached, he's brought me to a point where I actually believe I can trust him. And so maybe this afternoon that's, that's what it means for you. 
And if it is, then uh, we pray, speak to God. He's on your side already. He hears your prayers and say, look, I want to stop fighting you and I want to start following you. And I'm sorry for the way I've rejected you, but I'm in now. I want to be a child of yours. And so please help me to grow and change. And so you can speak to God and you can ask him that. For any of these things, a great thing to do is just pray with someone. And maybe even after the service, you might want to pray with another brother or sister at 4 p.m. and just say, I'd really love prayer for this particular thing. And I'd encourage you, like, we want to be a praying community. Not where it's official, but we just pray for each other. Because we're family. We love each other. Whatever it is, it is a step worth taking as we see the Spirit at work in our lives. And so uh, I want to pray now that, um, that God might give you just the courage to hold on to whatever it is he may have convicted you of. Um, and if he hasn't convicted you of anything, my prayer is that you'll just be a blessing to others. And... Uh, and after I uh, finish that prayer, then um, we're going to have a chance for any comments. Maybe there's a comment you'd like to share with us, or maybe there's a question. Um, we're going to have a space for us to ask and explore. Let, let's pray. Uh, our dear Lord and loving Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, I ask for each one of us here this afternoon that you might give us the courage, the humility, just the heart to stay in step with your spirit. Lord, I thank you that you are on our side. Your son has died for our sins, bore that on himself, and you give us your spirit to lead us towards change. And Lord, I ask that you might help us to stay in step with that spirit, uh, such a good spirit. And so lead us in that direction. Lord, if there is anything that we are consciously aware that enslaves us, Lord, please give us the courage to seek help, to seek change, to bring it before you in prayer, to seek guidance, that we might respond to your word and we might find freedom. And so, Lord, please lead each one of us in that this afternoon and help us to be a community that prays for each other and loves each other uh, as we work out what it means to be your family. And we ask this all in the name of the one true Son, Jesus. Amen.